0: And if we look at these organizations, they are creating IT solutions to coordinate and to let resources flow between the teams with the least amount of resources or the least amount of resistance. So resources should be able to arrive at the right place with the least amount of coordination effort, with the least amount of resistance. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless
1: Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co hosts, and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world.
2: Hi, everyone. Stina here, co host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast with Simone Cicero. In this episode, we talk to Jost Minar, co-founder back in 2015 of the blog CorporateRebels.com. Jost travels the world researching progressive organizations, blogs about his discoveries and advices on workplace issues. Jost is the co-author of the book Corporate Rebels Make Work More Fun, released this year and winner of the Thinkers 50 Raider Award 2019, and he's a doctoral candidate at the Amsterdam Business Research Institute. We also have the pleasure to collaborate with Jost and his colleagues in our work on the Hire Group model. This week, on Thursday 28th of May at 2 p.m. Central European time, we are actually going to host our second webinar on Hire and how the lessons learned from their revolutionary Rendan Hay model are being applied beyond China, for example, in GE Appliances and Candy Hoover that are part of the Hire Group. Check out our website, www.platformdesigntoolkit.com, under the tab Next Webinar to find out more and reserve a spot. In our conversation with Jost, we get quite practical about three fundamental problems, quote-unquote, of organizing at scale as he frames it, and how organizations tackle them. We loved how this episode helped us nail down some key thoughts into discernible patterns, drawing on Jost's rich library of experiences from researching many great organizations. Please enjoy the show.
1: Okay, so uh, today is 4th of May. I'm with my co-host Tina, my usual co-host.
3: Hello, everyone.
1: And today we are here with uh, Joost. I Hopefully I pronounced it well. And uh, from Corporate Rebels, uh, Joost,
0: uh, good morning. Good morning, Simone. How are you?
1: Well, uh, very, very good. We are still into, as you know, uh, enjoying our latest lockdown days. So uh, thankfully, our morale is still keeping up, but... Uh, uh, hopefully, in the in the coming weeks, we're gonna be a bit more free, and our listeners know very well, no, because they've been uh, as we were saying, listening to our podcast with kids screaming in the background, and uh, you know, works and something like that, because we are confined at home, so we cannot find a good place to record, at least in Italy yet. So they will pardon us for that. But uh, let's move more into the exciting part of this conversation, that is uh, that we are really, really looking forward to have this conversation with you. We have been following the work that uh, you and Corporate tables have been doing in the last uh, few years. And uh, I, we really, really love the way, that approach that you have. Uh, you, you can keep you know, the simple and the complex. You can keep the serious and the fun. And we really think that uh, this is a precious approach to, to discussing organizing. and. I'm sure we have lots of ground to cover together but as a starting point uh, I think uh, since this podcast is focused essentially in understanding what does it mean to organize at scale you know in this world in, in continuous flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start uh, maybe from the basics of, of your understanding of what is organizing at scale or in general what is organizing.
0: I think that's a very good first point so we find kind of a common ground on what we mean with organizing. I think many people have a a different understanding or different thinking about what is organizing and what do we mean with it. So, some years ago, I, I started uh, like a part time PG program uh, here in Amsterdam on large scale organizing and then, especially, on understanding how large organizations with more than 10,000 people could organize without the need of middle management. But before I could like uh, frame that, I needed to uh, first define what is organizing and after much reading and academic work and much reading of i think uh, many many other scholars great scholars that went before us i arrived at i would say three uh, main problems of organizing so i frame it around problems fundamental problems so if we look at at an organization i think it's maybe interesting to start with like what is an organization i regard Or we regard with many other academics i think we regard organizations as just a group of people having a shared purpose or wanted to achieve a a shared purpose so like two or more uh, individuals or in academics they will talk about agents two or more agents uh, working together or collaborating together to achieve a a common uh, purpose or outcome so then you, you touch upon a few, like I think, problems that you have to solve to make that organ, organization um, or organizing that organization properly. And I combined the work of some scholars, like scholars like Pani Punaram, but also work of uh, Lorge and all kind of other old scholars. I think uh, I will not mention the names, but people will know, like people like Berkenshaw, Hamel, that kind of management thinkers. And I arrived at the three, the three main problems of organizing. And the first, I would say, is the um, direction. So what is the direction of the um, organizing, the direction of the organization? Uh, many people will understand that, I think, more as the strategy. So what is the strategy, strategy of the organization? Um, that Where is the organization going to? Then uh, the second one is the, the other two actually are more internal um uh, problems of organizing and i divided that in a uh, uh, horizontal the problem of horizontally organizing and a problem of uh, vertically organizing and then if we look at um, the one of vertically first that is a basically if you have a big strategy if you are going in a certain direction then many organizations break down that bigger strategy in smaller tasks and those tasks they need to be assigned or they can be assigned or people can assign themselves uh, to do those tasks and that is what i call the vertical organization which translates to uh, academic work uh, more into what they call division of labor so the, how is the labor divided among uh, the different uh, people in the organization and once you have individuals performing uh, certain tasks then there is the problem of coordinating um and to coordinating and motivating these individuals among each other and this i capture in the last uh fundamental problem of organizing which i call horizontally organizing and in in academics you would uh, refer to that particular topic they would talk about integration of effort so you end up with uh, three fundamental problems of organizing, uh, the first being strategy, the second being division of labor, and the last being the integration of effort. Great. Uh, and you find yourself in that... Uh that definition, yes, yes, yes. Of
1: course, of course. And uh, and uh, my 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 second question would be, uh, as we explore essentially how these processes happen in in, in in at large scale, no. Because as we shared before this conversation, we, before we started this conversation, mm-hmm. the interesting thing that we also wanted to explore is that uh, evolution between the organization and the age of organizing. You no. Know? So we feel like we are transitioning into something that goes. Transcends the organization as we know that, and uh, move into a more general uh, scale, uh, scalable organizing. So, so my question is: Do you have already some thoughts on uh, what happens when uh, and and what you are witnessing when you? Um, started to uh, look into how existing players, for example, have been uh, playing with these three directions and and, uh, and also these three problems, let's say, and also this idea of doing it at scale. So yeah. to scale, for example, into a global organization or something like that. I, I, I know that you have been talking a little bit about how some natural patterns are helping organizations in doing this. So maybe you can touch a little bit about that.
0: Um, yeah, I, I think what is uh, important then is to... To kind of, I think many of us will uh, recognize that if we, we talk about uh, strategy, division of labor, um, integration of effort, we tend to in, or, in large organizations, I think still at this time we tend to organize for many years, maybe decades already in the same way. So fundamentally, I think many organizations still use like managers, hierarchy, dividing organizations in silos and departments, uh, assigning certain individuals within the organization with the authority to uh, decide about tasks. So they, they, I think they point other individuals that are, let's say, below them to do certain tasks. They motivate them by certain salaries that are set by people higher in the, the hierarchy with more authority to, to decide about others, what is their salary, for example. Um, so the division of labor, I think strategy is still mostly done with top management teams deciding about strategy of the, of the firm. The, the division of labor is um, very much um, decided by, by hierarchy and integration of effort is often guided by like a bureaucracy or by rules and protocols and uh, all set by people with more authority. Than others in the organization i think this is this must be a common vision to many of your listeners and to many of the people in the world nowadays but this kind of machine uh, metaphor obviously uh, derives from the in- industrial uh, revolution like uh, with the explosion of like high hierarchical firms and um, maybe matrix firms and and our ma- matrix organizations and satellite organizations we, i think many of us are familiar with that and there's a few few organizations that actually depart from that. I think that there's a few large organizations in the world that try to move away from hierarchy and they try to move away from bureaucracy. They acknowledged that those mechanisms uh, might have been very successful like 100 years ago, and they may still be very successful today in terms of organizing, but they also realized that it doesn't really motivate or engage the individuals that are part of the organization. So it might be good for the well-being of the shareholders of the organization or the the customers of the organization. But they also realize that it is not very well optimized for the well-being of the individuals of that organizations or like employees. And also not necessarily optimized for the communities in which these uh, organizations are part of so with our adventure of uh, of corporate rebels we have visited many organizations around the world uh, mostly uh, we are interested in or we actually are only interested in in visiting organizations that have highly engaged employees and in these organizations we find that many of them are more I think more inspired by mechanisms stemming from nature for example in terms of organizing so they look at how does nature organize itself instead of how does a firm 100 years ago organize itself and if you look at those organizations you if you look at organizing in in nature uh, and if if you look into the complexity work of uh, Jeffrey West and other people of the Santa Fe Institute, you will um, uh, realize that um, there there are still some parts of hierarchy and there are still rules, but there are completely different kind of mechanisms and there's different kind of hierarchical uh, relationships between um, the elements of organizing in nature compared to the ones we use in many traditional firms. So let me give you a few examples. If we look at um, the common work we do, for example, um, on this Chinese firm, Hire, we see that they have been transformed uh, very much away from the traditional hierarchy in the last like 15 years, and they have organized like um, 70,000 or 80,000 people into 4,000 little teams. That uh, teams or, or what they call micro enterprises that have maybe in their team still like a small hierarchy, like they're still leader in the team and there's still top management in the firm but it's completely broken up. So the big hierarchy is broken up in small parts, in small building blocks, just as your uh, body is built up of cells of building blocks and how um, a plant is built up by building blocks. And we don't only find higher, but there is also the Dutch healthcare organization, Berkshire, which is like an organization of 15,000 nurses, thousand teams of around 10 people. There is no middle manager to be found in that organization. Um, and there's there's some other interesting organizations that um, that manage to scale, or they are managed to organize on a large scale, without the need of traditional middle management, uh, without the need of traditional bureaucratic rules and procedures and like uh, rules and, and protocols and, and that kind of things that many organizations are still using today. Many traditional organizations are still using today.
3: Uh, Thank you so much. I would love to follow up a bit on, uh, I mean, you you have visited a lot of companies in your research and you had identified in your book, I think, eight trends that you have seen um, resonate with these different. And when you were talking, I was just uh, thinking about this, you know, moving from a profit as the only purpose towards more, sort of value-based and and a purpose-oriented organization. So have you seen that these two go together somehow? That, you know, is the hierarchical structure itself somehow making it more difficult to work purposefully from your observations?
0: Like I can only speak about the experience from my own uh, work before I started Corporate Rebels with, like I would say, my own experience with strong hierarchical, hierarchical organization, Because the organizations we visited were mostly not so hierarchical or almost flat. Um, But I would say uh, I can very much um, uh, agree with your point that I think if you are organizing very strongly or with a strong hierarchy, the lower your position is in that hierarchy, it becomes harder, I think, to connect yourself to the larger purpose of the organization. Because you cannot uh, really... Uh, influence that purpose or you're like you're not have no authority to to talk about strategy or even to influence the direction of the firm but i think it's not always the case because if you look at uh, organizations uh, in healthcare or if you look at organizations in education i think they have a very strong purpose and what you see there is that people are actually working uh, like teachers and nurses are working in uh, those hierarchies where they're getting very frustrated by the, I think, the boundaries or the limitations these hierarchies bring and the bureaucracy brings with them. So in Holland, we have, for example, the highest burnout rates of all professions are in education and in healthcare. I think that is because the people are very connected to the purpose of their organization, but they are very frustrated by the hierarchy and the, the limitations the hierarchy and bureaucracy brings with them. And sadly, those bureaucratic exercises and this introduction of hierarchy has been actually uh, very intense over the last, I think, 10 or 20 years. And I I don't think that is just in uh, Holland the case. I think this is happening all around, at least the Western world, where we see a movement of having healthcare and education go to a more like a market regulated environment. And we see the introduction of uh, middle managers and uh, practices we are used from large corporations. But I think it's painfully showing that uh, this doesn't motivate at all the, the people that are on the front line, the people that are actually having to deliver added value to the customers or to the patients or to the children that uh, that needs to get education. And I think um, uh, Burtzorg is a very uh, a brilliant example of how you can do it differently. I think Burtzorg is founded based on that frustration with the limitations of higher career bureaucracy in traditional healthcare organizations in, in Holland. So Birdzog's founder, Jos de Bloch, he was a nurse himself. He moved up on the ranks of a traditional healthcare organization, but he uh, experienced day by day the frustration that came with a strong hierarchy and strong bureaucracies so one day he just quit his job at a traditional healthcare organization and he started his own healthcare organization with um, with a purpose to bring the best possible care to the to the patients and if you your purpose is to bring the best possible care to the patient then they believe there is no need of hierarchy and there is no need of bureaucracy
3: yeah very well explained. I think it's the. I, I mean, I've, my background is I've I've come from. I worked in several different UN organizations, and
0: mm-hmm.
3: it definitely resonates that it's it's hard to see the purpose, maybe even if from the beginning, maybe you you join a certain organization or a certain profession because you are value driven or purpose, and that's where the link between the purpose and having a flatter organization probably becomes very, very key. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I yeah, agree on that point, but it, it doesn't, it is a different way of organizing and it's, it's not necessarily like an easier way of organizing to give you a, like kind of an, an example how, of how that is different. So in a traditional healthcare organization, a nurse in Holland typically would get like uh, her planning would be made by somebody in the planning department and he or she Will receive like at the front line just the planning that is made by somebody else, and and on this planning it will say you have like five minutes to treat this patient here, you have ten minutes, or you have one hour to treat that patient there, and patient three is somewhere else. And as a as a patient, you will then receive maybe every day a different uh, nurse taking care of you because that planning is done by somebody in the planning department that is not at all familiar with the front line most of the time. In Burtzorg, they say, we just make one team responsible for its own region. And in that region, that those 10 people 10, all need to be nurses. And they will uh, treat their clients. Uh, but they also need to make their own planning. They also need to recruit their own team members. They also have to fire their own team members. They have to find their own accommodation. Um, they uh, need to be profitable. They need to have a certain productivity rate. So they basically act as like small entrepreneurial team within their, within their region. And if they need help, they can ask that from the headquarter. But in essence, they need to run their own little team in their uh, region, which is completely different way of organizing than uh, I think many traditional firms uh, nowadays. Uh, do they want to have entrepreneurship in their organization but they don't give their people or their individuals any uh, mechanisms or any stimulation to be entrepreneurial i think it's the opposite you just get assigned tasks that you need to do and there will be somebody else telling you if you did that correctly or not
1: so, so, I have a fairly long reflection to share. Uh, I mm-hmm. hope it will make sense you know because I, I think uh, I want to offer a farther step in the conversation we are having. Yeah. so wh- when you speak about uh, bureaucracies, you no, know, I, I was thinking about uh, uh, Simon Wardley's work, for example, in describing how organizations evolve and, and in general how human activities evolve over time, you know that. Uh, these lens that uh, he offers to look into processes like uh, progression between pioneers settlers and town planners no so so you have a process of gradual bureaucratization in companies that is somehow mirroring a process of uh, progressive industrialization of activities. You no, know? so as activities become more industrialized and more standardized, uh, due to, to the law of competition, we 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 really need to uh, uh, somehow bureaucratize them. You know because they become more industrialized. So that's one pattern for sure that we can uh, somehow use to, to justify bureaucratization. Okay, mm-hmm. so somehow from what. You said, I feel like there are some companies that are growing in in more natural ways, you know so they maybe they, they they succeed to avoid to express this pattern of uh, domination that somehow it's embedded in this idea of industrializing you no know? so so to, to grow an organization bigger and and uh, and organize better you no know, because we can so we can produce more and therefore we can consume more for example of the environment you no know? so uh, my question is uh, if for, for example if I look into burjort and which is a f- fantastic example and uh, once he asked the Block at uh, the uh, Drucker Forum, I think he said uh, basically we took bureaucracy and we transformed bureaucracy into software. No, so so mm-hmm. so we we use a technological artifact instead of an organizational artifact somehow. Mm-hmm. So my 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 question is in this transition, let's say uh, towards this new type of organization, uh, are, are we are we uh, missing the point? Uh, so so if, because if I think about uh, Amazon, you know? Amazon is an excellent example of a company that has transformed bureaucracy into software somehow. You no, know? they actually arrived to to describe the interface between teams as an API, you no, know? so something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so my question is, in your experience, where these organizations uh, m- migrate and embrace different ways of scaling up more naturally or more uh, entre- entrepreneurially driven? Uh, do they also change their cultural and, and epistemic frame towards uh, the world and uh, uh, the, the reason their purpose, let's say in, in the in uh, in the participation to the social and economic activity?
0: Yes, I think I think they are very much um, founded from a purpose that they want to bring added value to to the customer but also to their own employees and to the community. So they want to be, they want to be to have the best of what is the best for the community. If you look at least at at Birdshark and there are some other organizations that are following in their that path, but I think we we I ag- agree with you on the bureaucracy and on the the fact that uh, there is still some kind of coordination uh, needed. To if you can, if you remove like uh, uh, hierarchical uh, levels and if you remove like traditional bureaucratic rules and procedures. You need some something else uh, in place to keep organizing at least in an efficient way. So you need to, to have something in place not to arrive in chaos. Let's frame it this way. I think that's the major the major enabler that technology then, like technology platforms, that these organizations can now scale to such sizes. So if we look, if we take a step back or we stay or we take a step more abstract, And we look at the the work of uh, Jeffrey West, and I I think he wrote like uh, quite a brilliant book. It's called Skill. In his book, but also in some academic papers, he shows that if an organization or if an organism grows, it basically follows three fundamental uh, rules. And those rules are like, the first one is that um, if you have a, a space, the organism that uh, needs to grow needs to fill that space completely to, to reach every part of the space with resources. So that is the number one rule. And I, I, would, I would stick that almost to like a strategy. Like uh, what is the space you want to fill? So that is the purpose. Like what is the space you want to fill your organization with? Like what do you want to bring to the world? The second uh, rule, or like, yeah, the second rule then is like, if you fill the space, you, the organisms, they fill the space and the, uh, with like this kind, of, I think you have already seen these pictures from, from the internet, this kind of a branching kind of a fractal structures. Like if you look at a tree, you see like the tree is like completely space filling. But if you look at uh, organisms in detail, you see that like the end part of all organisms are the same size. So the building blocks that need to fill the space, these building blocks that we touch the space or that are having interaction with the borders of the organization with uh, what that's interacting with something else. All those building blocks are the same size. Um, And that's exactly what you see in Burtzacher. As well, like all the teams, the thousand teams, there are space filling in Holland because they need to uh, they need to take care of patients all around Holland. And you see like all the teams being distributed quite nicely within Holland. And all these teams are not bigger than 12 persons, which is a clear rule from the organization set by top management. So this is a clear rule. This is you could argue this is part of bureaucracy. And then the third rule of organisms, uh, according to West, is like basically based on the the principle of least action and the principle of least least action. You can find in almost every physical or chemical um, equation or in chemical like uh, principle, more physical principle. It's like if you look at water, water will always try to find a way down the mountain that is the way of the least resistance. So if we look at these organizations and if we look at Birdsorg, they are creating IT solutions to coordinate and to let resources flow between the teams with the least amount of resources uh, or the least amount of uh, resistance. So resources should be able to arrive at the right place. Uh, with the least amount of coordination effort, with the least amount of uh, resistance. So that's why they are introduced like a very efficient IT system, and they removed potential resistance elements like managers, uh, bureaucratic rules, uh, secrecy, all kind of things that we are used to from traditional organizations. They have kind of questioned that all the time and ask if those rules are old uh, way of org- organizing of old way of management if that is actually very beneficial for the teams and if, if those are beneficial for the customer and if they are not then they would rather not use those traditional management ids and they create it most of the time they create their own ones and if we look beyond birds and if we look at higher but also if we look at um, a very interesting company india called jaipur uh, rocks or you look here more in Holland with some other healthcare organizations that have copied the Buurtzorg model. You always see that this IT part is a very this IT part of connecting the different elements. So the, the connecting the different building blocks of the organization is crucial. I think it's crucial because I think this IT system enables teams to perform the tasks that are normally being traditionally being uh, performed by middle management. Like. Think about things like coordination between different teams uh, think about doing performance management doing things about uh hiring firing seeing how your production levels are uh, think about communicating with other teams but also communicating with top management uh this in in Birzo happens all through the their own their self-developed uh, software
1: and um so, so let me i like a couple of very interesting things that you said so i was taking notes but basically uh you said that that uh very interestingly there is these sides invariant units you no know? so mm-hmm. somehow it looks like uh there is a certain inherent uh structure of a team that uh it's uh, uh, essentially shaping up the, the best way to collaborate you no know? so so if i think about 12 people in in burzok mm-hmm. but uh, i don't know i can also think about the famous or infamous i would say uh, Two Pizza Rule no? in Amazon. Yeah. No? So so this idea that you have a certain amount of people that uh, need to be organized to, to collaborate at best. Mm-hmm. So this is some insight that I think our listeners want to ponder. No? So, so maybe this is something you need to consider when you think about your organization and how you think about how do we organize. There is some kind of sides that it's uh, optimal for human interaction and for human collaboration. On the other side, uh, I think one particularly interesting aspect that you brought up is this one of the technology and least action, least resistance patterns. So... um, so let me try to explain what I mean. So, so, so technology, you said the IT technology is crucial, no, to enable teams to uh, execute with the least uh, resistance
0: at scale. Then, right? So, if it's crucial if you want to scale like sizes, like if we, like Birchard, we, we talk about a thousand uh, self managing teams or autonomous teams. If we talk about higher, we talk about 4,000 autonomous teams. So like at the small scale, if we talk about uh, maybe 10 teams or 100 teams, I, I believe you can do without technology. But at that scale, I think technology, yes, is crucial.
1: And uh, my reflection was that, uh, uh, for sure, it's hard to say, you know, it's a problem if birds org scales, you no? Know, because uh, it's recognized as a caring organization that provides such an important service mm. and so on. But many people have, so, for example, have raised uh, concerns on large technological providers like Amazon. Mm. To scale so fast, you no, know, to conquer so much of the work of the world, you know that there is this way of saying you, you're getting Amazon in, in the U.S. You no, know, that that when Amazon somehow lands on a new market, it somehow conquers it. You no, know? so, so, so this idea of uh, reducing friction. No, mm-hmm. it's an idea that has been uh, a primary, a bri- primary in our uh, all our economical development and social development and socio-technical development in the last uh, decades. You no, know? so, so this idea of customer experience, for example, is somehow reflected into this idea of uh, employee experience and entrepreneurial experience. Like Ayer, for example, is promoting mm-hmm. no this idea that you can create a new enterprising without frictions. No, because of all these systems that support this creative activity. But my question is, in your experience, is there any space for reflectivity and uh, uh, somehow to uh, reflect on what the organization is doing? And where are these spaces coming up? Are these spaces coming up in the in the periphery of the organization? Are they coming up in the center of the organization? I, I think, uh, just as a closure of this reflection, when I, I was at the Drucker Forum, Miriam uh, Meckel, uh, uh, she did a very good inter, uh, reflection. No? She said... Uh, you know, all this convenience is fine, but uh, when do we put ourselves into inconvenience just because we need to reflect on what we are doing, if it's the right thing to do uh, for us as employees or as an organization?
0: Mm, I think um, what, what, I, what I like about about our research is that we are looking into organizations where employees seem to be very engaged with the work they are doing and I think this should be the prime reason why an organization um, would organize organize differently because they want to create a stimulating, engaging place for people to work. And what we see in, in, in companies like Burtzorg, um, but also in Jaipur Works or in Hire, or there's some others like Nair Group in Spain, Shobani, in uh, I think in uh, in America, is also an interesting example. Is that that if you organize in this way, if you organize without uh, uh, middle management, then you will have teams that I think are way more connected with the local community. They are way more connected uh, with the work they are doing. They are may, way more connected with uh, not only the work they are doing and the, and the added value they bring to the to customers, but I think also they are uh, way more uh, responsible and they are way more knowledgeable about what is their impact on the world. So now I think if you look into traditional hierarchies and bureaucracies, I think there's people doing certain activities uh, while they are not really aware of what those activities. What is the impact of those activities to the larger community or to their, even their local community? I think we are having a lot of people doing jobs that don't really know what is their, like what their company, what kind of impact that their company has on the world or where their company is paying tax, for example. I think if we start organizing uh, differently and if we start organizing around like much more autonomous building blocks where individuals that are part of those building blocks need to hire their own people that need to fire their own people that need to take care of their local office for example or that need to take care of their local clients i think people will be way more connected with the work they are doing and also as a result way more connected to the impact they're making on their uh, environment and that impact obviously can be positive but in some cases also negative negative. Um, and i think in in traditional organizations we have uh, lost that connection with the impact you are making to the customer or at least the impact you are making to the customer of your organization Like in my previous job, I remember I was doing my work and I was doing, um, I studied nanotechnology. So I was working for a big German firm and we were trying to, uh, I was working in R&D department, trying to um, uh, develop flexible displays. But basically the only purpose of my job was to earn more money for the shareholders. And everybody was like aware of that. Uh, You worked for um, your paycheck. Right, you work for your salary. You didn't, I didn't realize what kind of impact I was making on the world, or at least I was not at all aware of what kind of impact I was making on my local community or the other teams in the organization. We have completely lost that. And I think we, this kind of new kind of organizations or more flat organizations, will bring that responsibility. Uh, back to the front line.
1: So, so, so basically, I get your point. I think uh, you made also a very interesting example of this bank. No, I was was it a Swedish bank or a, a Swiss, Swiss bank? I don't remember that you. Yeah, Handelsbank. Yeah, can you just quickly remind this to the listeners?
0: Yeah. So, so Handelsbank is, I think, a rather interesting bank. From um, it originates from Sweden. It's a pretty old bank, and they had been in a, a corporate transformation already in the seventies or eighties. And they, um, they, they still have, I, I would say, three levels of hierarchy. So it's not comparable to the very flat organizations like Hire and Birdsock which I think has only two levels of hierarchy, like being the teams and the top management. In uh, Handelsbanka, they have like a corporate office in Stockholm, but they, they have like different countries where they're active, mostly in Scandinavia and in uh, the UK uh, in in Holland nowadays. But they structure themselves around uh, local branches. They are called so the local bank, which is are in like uh, cities and towns. And those local banks uh, they are very autonomous. So they are they're very small. They can be they are mostly I think ten people working in the local bank, and they have to take care of their local clients. They are very strong rooted. Uh, they strong connections uh, with the local community. So they. Before you open a bank account there, or if you are asking for a loan, you will have to go to the local bank. You will speak to the, your local banker and they will try to understand your local conditions. And in this sense, they are way more responsible, I think. And they are way more uh, aware of who, are the, who their clients are and what they are, what they are, bring to their clients or what they can offer to their clients. And in this regard, they have been the most safe bank f- for years they're they're relatively conservative in their banking because they only want to give uh, their local customers the right products so they're not um, after uh, a lot of uh, i would say uh, growth and a lot of uh, traditional like metrics like uh, profit maximization but they are more want to bring the best uh, experience and the best banking experience to their their clients mm-hmm. so they i think what is interesting is that what you mentioned here is that uh, this kind of organizing with having local teams being very strongly connected to the local community uh, and providing services doesn't only work in healthcare or in education where we I think we are mostly used to it but it can also work indeed in banking and it work, we have seen it in banking we have seen it in uh, manufacturing environments we have seen it in we see it in hire for example which is like a white good manufacturing so you, you you can see it everywhere and it, uh, it's kind of a universal way of organizing. It's just a completely, we just need a completely different mindset to, to introduce it.
1: So, so, yeah, yeah. I was chatting with Stina on the background, basically, because uh, uh, it's exciting to see, for example, this example, I think it's really, really poignant, <clears throat> meaning that uh, normally banks also have these, uh, especially these kind of banks, I think, have these... Uh, uh, really a really strong entanglement with the local communities you no know? so so it's about giving money to yeah. local initiatives entrepreneurial initiatives that may generate impacts locally so it's that's really really interesting and uh, the question that uh, we would like to explore with you as we enter in this you know probably the final part of the uh, conversation more or less um is uh, uh what are your feelings and your experience in 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 uh, for example also listening to these companies that are innovating so so broadly uh, if uh, uh the fact that you're, uh, you you uh, embed again a part of your production process into the local con- context so into essentially the community and the landscape uh, uh what does it mean in terms of uh, driving new organizational models, uh, new organizational artifacts that, for example, may end up in generating incentives for uh, local players that are not part of the organization, but uh, I would say partners mm-hmm. of the organization, uh, how the organization serves these local constituents. So so in, in that case, how the organizational model is asked to transform and to change with new governance models, new communication patterns, uh, new organizational structures that uh, can uh, somehow uh, collect all this potential that is uh, uh, it's existing locally and putting it uh, in service or in collaboration with the organizational purpose. Uh, and so that, that's one, one important thing and I think that this is really really important because if I think about for example, the main difference between boots mm-hmm. and, and Amazon you know that we were debating debating before is that Amazon is normally dealing with, uh, uh, processes that are deliberately mm. disconnected from the local uh, dimension. No, so you, you basically take e-commerce. E-commerce is very fast to to be transformed because it's very easy to unbundle. No? you can unbundle that from reality. Essentially, you can put all the logistics in a big box. You know, where you put all the robots inside and and just you know stuff gets shipped uh, here and there. You can uh, you can do everything online. So it's really detached from the local. While when you speak about Burzorg, for example, or this bank, it's very hard to imagine, you know, care to be disentangled by the local, the community and the landscape. It's very impossible to imagine banking, you know, especially that kind of banking, to be completely disconnected from the local landscape and the community. So coming back to the question, do you see emerging experiments in creating new organizational models that can engage with these local constituents at a, at a broader extent? Because the question we want to answer, I think also with this research, is to understand how the organizational form, the corporate form, is going to evolve, to be re into a, a process of uh, like, you know, Deborah, Deborah, I don't remember the surname, but basically uh, uh, you know this idea of scaling across instead of scaling up. You know, scaling across through the landscape and through the community. Yeah. How is this happening in your experience?
0: Mm, I think it's still on the very um, like infant uh, phase. So we we see some experiments happening. I think in, uh, around the world. I think it's growing. I think there is there is more and more uh, people interested in it. And. I think what we can, what we we saw during now the, the COVID crisis is that many people I think realized that maybe we have been a little bit too reliable on global firms that produce on the other side of the world, for example, uh, very necessary healthcare products like uh, masks and uh, disinfection sprays and gels, and we realize now suddenly that uh, we can have big problems if we don't um, manage to organize on the local or produce and, and organize on the local scale anymore. So hopefully this crisis will bring that local initiative back uh, on the agenda instead of um, having this kind of international mindset that everything needs to be uh, outsourced to the cheapest place to manufacture. We, I think the, the very where I found a, a lot of inspiration is in um, the region of Bilbao, in in the north of Spain, where there is a group of of companies called uh, the the Nair Group. We describe this um, this group also in our book, where there is like a group of around twenty companies working together locally. And if you if you're a bit familiar with um, the situation in Spain, obviously it was a pretty bad financial situation in Spain for the last years. Probably it's going to be not well come upcoming year as well but in the in in bilbao they have formed the, like there's 20 20 group of a uh, group of 20 organizations that corporate organizations so manufacturing companies lawyers uh, i.t companies that have grouped together and they try to keep employment and keep production in the region and they, this group of organizations they uh, help each other if like one organization is in financial trouble the others will help uh, by adopting um, some of its employees for a while, they have created like a, a fund for like the organization, the, the group of organizations that have created like a fund for people that are like for employees that are in financial need. They have created their own bank to supply um, or to, to provide employees with uh, loans, which are favorable. So they need don't need to rely on banks that charge uh, ridiculous um, uh, interest. So this kind of initiatives we see happening in Bilbao, but you also see it in Holland happening more and more. There's people following, there's a lot of healthcare organizations following the steps of birds are here, uh, the way of organizing. And I think this is what we need. I think we need a few of, of those pioneers that show that, Um, such a revolution is possible. And they show kind of the blueprint of how you can organize differently and that you can actually be very successful with that. And I think only if those pioneers show that there will be others that will follow. But we are still in the pioneering phase, I think. And uh, I think it should be our job to highlight those stories, to show these pioneers are there, to show uh, to other people that... Uh, It can be done, that it can be done very successfully, that it leads to better performance for not only the organization, but that it's also very advantageous for the employees that are part of that organization, that it's good for the community where that organization is based, that it's good for the clients of that organization. And I think only by talking about those organizations and writing about these organizations and by uh, trying to understand how these organizations really function and what kind of practices they they have, then other organizations can follow them. But this will need like a, a leadership from certain uh, sort of leadership from traditional organizations to go into this direction. And it needs maybe some encouragement from governmental uh, institutions or other institutions to go this way. And, and I think as a local community and as a uh, and the community we are part of as citizens i think we should stimulate our uh, governments and we should stimulate like our not only only governments but for example we we as europeans so i think should stimulate the european union to invest in in organizations that are good for the for our community and for the world and we should not longer support too much uh, the organizations that are only created for optimizing um the wealth of their shareholders,
1: and uh, if if you pick into a bit of foresight before we we move into you know last point that we want to ask you, but uh, if you quickly peek into foresight. Um, and especially situating yourself in the context we are living now no? so these uh, raising uh, disruptions and uh, uh, more frequent let's say unpredictability to be factored in our economies uh, how do you see some of the patterns that you have been witnessing to play out more in long term mm,
0: I, th- I think many organizations will go this way um, I think within 10 years many organizations will not have anymore have a middle management, uh, they will move into this direction uh, of technology being the platform taking care of uh, middle management roles. The only question will be like, what will be the reason companies are doing that? Will, that, will, will they do it because they believe that's better for the employees and for the customer? Or uh, will they do it because they believe it's better for the financial return of the, uh, of the organization? Because if we compare Birdshark to Amazon, I think there is a, a very big difference in what is the purpose of the larger organization. I think only time will tell if this way, this new way of organizing will improve also the life of uh, its individuals and the uh, customer, or that it will be just a new phase in creating a new organizational form that doesn't need any more a certain group of individuals to, to manage, but that many people will self-manage themselves in existing uh, authority uh, structures. Got
1: it. Got it. So, so, so that's probably the elephant in the room, no? The purpose Mm -hmm. question. Yeah. Uh, Really, that's important uh, to consider together with the organizational evolution part. So, so, I know that you wanted to to close with our final reflection.
3: Yeah, I just it really resonated also with the previous conversation that we actually well today is fourth of May and tomorrow we will publish it, but when this goes live, we will already have published uh, our. Uh, Episode with Stowe Boyd, Mm -hmm. and he was saying that you know it's it's very important as Mm students of this transition to to somehow help to push things in the right direction. So I I just wanted also to acknowledge that even what you all the work that you do it's very helpful I think to many readers to visualize this kind of artifact that also Simone was uh, was getting at, and it's something that we we share this mission. I think, to try to, to somehow illustrate what, what we can observe. Um, and the second thing that maybe is more like a, a final question is that if you see in any way, uh, apart from that role, if there are any other things that you are doing with corporate rivals that kind of embody the change that you witness and that you might want to see accelerated in, into the future. If that, is that clear what I mean?
0: You mean if we, we practice what we preach? <laughs> Is that your i guess
3: you can you can say that yeah
0: yeah yeah we we look we are a relatively uh, a small company um compared to the large companies we talked about but in our organization yes we uh we try to take the best practices or we not necessarily the best practices but because i don't don't really like that word but we uh, take a lot of inspiration from the companies we have visited so we, have, um, we all set our own salaries within uh, the company, everybody for himself. Um We don't really work with hierarchy. Obviously, there's like a natural hierarchy, but nobody will be able to, to force somebody else to do something. There is a total transparency about everything, about all financials, all like uh, performance, uh, all kind of metrics. There is no secrecy. We try to be supportive leaders. Uh, we so th- there's a lot of uh, elements we we take and we, uh, we draw inspiration from. And we also try to push. Um, so we help a selective group of clients that are really, truly interested in this transformation. We try to push them in the right direction. But I think what Simone already mentioned before, it, uh, it's not easy to go in this direction. It needs to start small, I think. And. Uh, it needs to have some, uh, uh, stimulation to go in the, the right direction. Um, so yes, we, we are, uh, we are trying to practice what we preach and I think we are doing a fairly, uh, fairly good job and we write about that. So, uh, if you're interested, you can search on a few of our blogs where we share our reflections and t- just to give you one example. Um, Now, obviously, there is uh, this COVID crisis going on and and people uh, might have uh, uh, also people working with us might have some kind of uh, fear that they will lose their job. So last week, we uh, like we uh, one colleague of mine, she was working still with like a, a temporal contract, and we changed that directly to a fixed contract to make sure she She feels like, uh, she feels safe for the upcoming months and she doesn't need to, to worry about her job and she doesn't need to worry about the circumstances of what COVID might bring uh, to us as a company.
3: Yeah, great
1: just a final point uh, Joost. just so so where um, you know where just is your research going and when people can where people can find your latest research and connect with you I think it's always worth uh, mentioning that
0: Yeah my, my research is going it's it's going now into the empirical um very much in the. I was very much in a concept phase before, and now I'm much more in going into an empirical uh, phase. So I have to do a lot of interviews and I have to do a lot of um, data collection. So I'll spend I will spend the coming uh, a year, two years gathering those data, and then afterwards I will try to publish that uh, on an academic level. But you might know that publishing on the academic level is uh, takes a long time. So I still have one. Peace of mind being a peer review already for a year, I guess. So it's a better, if you're truly really interested in my thinking, um, or if people are interested in my more like, uh, I would say, uh, popular management thinking ideas, or I, I, let's say it this way, I try to translate my academic work into shorter pieces for, uh, our blog. Everything I learn from my academic work, I share on our corporate rebels, uh, blog. So now and then I will share a story. Um, so it would be best if you, if the people that are interested in that, um, thoughts that they followed, uh, my work on the corporate rebels, I will also publish there when I have, uh, something real academic, uh, academically journals convinced that they, that, that my ideas are worth publishing. That's a good uh, a good note to close the conversation. As <laughs> to
1: remind that bureaucracy, and uh, yeah, it's not just <laughs> companies, but uh, it's a uh, generally much more widespread in our society than 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 one who could uh, think about. So so, uh, you know, so, it was you know it was great, really. Uh, I think we captured a lot of very actionable insights and that we are going to comment in our uh, podcast notes and in the blog post that we, we share along with your interview um, so, really, I'm thankful for our conversation and thankful for the work we are uh, somehow doing together in the context of higher and, uh, and beyond. The People would be able, for example, to look at the webinar that we ran together on the 29th of April, uh, talking about this amazing company. Uh, so, really, thanks very much. It was super, super interesting and insightful, uh, and we're looking forward to uh, read more of your work.
0: Uh, so, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, and thanks, uh, Stina and Simona, for this great work you are doing.
3: Thank you very much.
0: Ciao. For the readers, let's catch up soon.
1: Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www. Platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you by our research sponsor, Intesa San Paolo. We want to also thank Valter Mobilio at Leo
0: Sound for the ad hoc music.